If you're new here, welcome. My name's Dean. If we haven't met, great to have you here. And uh, today, uh, if you're new to church, you're going to get a little snapshot of what we believe that church is all about. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting into it. So we are going to go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I'm going to take you right to the very end today of this letter. Remember, this is a letter written by a guy named Paul to a group of people, a church in this city, Corinth. And, uh, and this is the close of the letter. And I love how he starts to wrap this letter up. Uh, he has been talking to them. If you've been following along, tell them, you know, hey, you as a people, as the community of the king, you're supposed to be set apart, different in this world. Saints, he calls them. Your lives are supposed to reflect a different way of living, a different way you operate as you live under Jesus as your king. And we've been following through in all those things and the different ways that plays out. And now at the end of the letter, it's kind of some last uh, you know, kind of encouragement. He's going to send them out. And so let's read it. 1 Corinthians 16. I'm going to read kind of a long little section here. So just kind of get into this letter. You can read along as you like. He says, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. This is kind of Paul's like, hey, let me just punch this out for you. Here's the deal. You know, we talked about a lot of stuff in this letter. He's like, I've been tough at times, direct at times. This is, come on, be strong. Everything in love. And then he starts to talk about some people. He says, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. And they have devoted themselves, his household, to the service of the Lord's people. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people, people like that, and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, for the rest of the morning we'll call them the three amigos. <laughs> I was glad when the three amigos arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. Paul had some needs, he needed some things. The Corinthian church couldn't do it. He's not giving a dig at him, but just saying, this is what they did. They ministered to me, they brought me what I needed. They took care of me. And for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. And he says, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy elbow bump because now you weren't reading along if you didn't laugh at that. It said, greet one another with a holy kiss because uh, we ain't worried about nothing. Sit as close as you want to each other. That's what was happening. This is the first century. Different time, hey? Greet one another with a holy kiss. Yep. I, Paul. Write this greeting with my own hand. Uh, you know, this letter, uh, we're going to come back and uh, unpack this now, uh, a little bit of what he is really trying to get through. And this is, this is Paul's kind of closing message to the church uh, out of this letter. He'll write to him again. Uh, but as we bring this series to, uh, you know, its stunning conclusion, I feel like you have to say that. Um, it's not quite there. But there's some things here that are, are really important for, actually, what does it look like to be the community of the king. Now, if you're new here, you won't know this about our church, but we made a decision years ago that as a church, we would always support one American football team, and that was the Cleveland Browns. 
And so we just decided that's who we will. Uh, we will cheer for them. We will be their supporters and fans. And so welcome uh, to the group if you're new. And uh, so I've been watching. I just wanted to make sure everybody knows an update. We're 6-3 and three this year and pretty exciting. I know. I can see the excitement on your faces. And... Uh, you know, the reason we actually chose them was because the Bible says last will be first. So we felt like let's bet on the Cleveland Browns because someday they'll be first because they are perennially last. Um, but, you know, I like to watch the game often during the week. Uh, don't ever tell me a score. Sometimes I don't get to the game till about four or five days after. But I'll, I'll avoid I like to watch the game. I watch the game and I cheer for them because I'm a fan. I'm a, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, so I get excited. I'm yelling, you know, like great throw Baker once in a while when that happens. I'm yelling like great run Nick Chubb. That happens a lot, you know. But uh, I'm just a fan. Um, when the game's over, I like to turn on some of the sports talk. I like to listen to sports critics, you know. Does anybody enjoy a bit of kind of the sports critics? You know, you've got different ways people relate to a game. And it doesn't matter what the sport or the team is. Then you've got your critics. And so I'll turn on and see what are people saying about the team? Uh, what are the people who, I'm a fan, I've got a vested interest, but critics, they just like, they just pick it apart and say, here's what we think is good. Here's what we think is bad. They don't really care who wins. They're just there to be a critic. Now here's the thing about uh, sports and any kind of game or any kind of endeavor that you set out on. And, and we'll talk about sports sometimes because it doesn't matter what the goal is, but whenever people set out to achieve anything, you get a, a window into the dynamic of how things work. Any sport, anything you take like that, you'll have people who end up being one of three things. You've got the players on the field, the actual people who are playing the game. A player is taking responsibility for how the game actually plays out. You've got the fans, those are the people who are cheering them on. You know, they want a good outcome, but the reality is I'm just a fan. I'm not doing anything that's going to affect the game one way or the other. And then you've got your critics, and critics are people who, uh, they don't even care. They, they're, they're really, uh, all they're there to do is to kind of critique and say, uh, you know what, I, I don't care if the game goes this way, that way, I think this is good, I think that is bad, I think uh, blah, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what I love about where 1 Corinthians 16 is going to land us is it is this deep reminder that to be a part of the community of the king, it's not to be a critic. Most of us know, none of us set out in life to be a critic, somebody who stands on the sidelines and just kind of makes comments. Some of us might at times, if you're a part of a church slip into the reality of wondering if all you're called to be in, in this thing is a fan, somebody who encourages or cheers other people on. But what you'll see in this is it's a great reminder that the community of the king is not meant to have fans in it or critics in it. It's meant to have people who are engaged in it. People who are players, if you will. Only obviously we're not just playing some game where as the community of the king, we're following the king's instructions. And what has he told us? He says, here's what you're supposed to be about. Praying and working to see my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Keep working to see everything start to look like it does in heaven where Jesus is king without hindrance, if you will. We're called to carry out his mission that he left with us. Go, make disciples of all nations. Bring people into the kingdom who live this kingdom way of life. And none of us are meant to be fans or critics in that process, but rather people who are engaged in the work he's given us to do. And you can always tell if you're wondering, well, which am I? Which am I? 
Ask the person next to you. No, just kidding. Don't do that. They'll, they, who knows what they'll say. But all you actually have to do is listen to the way you talk. How do you know who a critic is? They're, they, you, know, you know a fan because they're like, hey, they are doing a great job. Look at his throw. Look at how it's going. A fan is going to talk about them and talk about the team and how good they are doing. A critic will probably talk about how bad they are doing. But you know you are on the team and taking responsibility when you say, we, how are we doing? Uh, if you find yourself going, hey, look, they're doing carols, then you see yourself as either a critic or a fan. If you said, oh, look, we are doing carols to reach our community, then you know you're on the team. And if you want to make a shift from a critic or to being a fan, or to say, no, I want to be part of this thing. I want to, Paul says here, those who join in the work. That's who we look to and say, that's what it looks like. All, it's about making that shift to going, no, this isn't a they, it's not a them, it's a we thing. You know, I love, listen to how Paul talks here. I love what he says. He starts off in, in this kind of last section. He says, be on your guard, stand firm. Be strong, be courageous. You know, one of the things that I think is great to remember uh, in a year like 2020, it's been kind of odd and there's different ways that people have interacted, engaged with church. Some of you might be watching this literally in a country where you still can't even gather the way we are today. And one of the temptations of everything that has pulled us back has been the temptation to see what it looks like to be part of a church as being as comfortable as possible. This is not a criticism. I got on a couple of the occasions to watch uh, church from the comfort of my couch. And there is nothing, uh, this is not a, oh, you're, you're bad if you thought that was a good thing. Not at all. Or if it, if it, but what we have to always be aware of is there will be a, there's a great temptation to always make what it means to be part of a church as comfortable as possible. When Paul's picture here is, come on, be on your guard, stand firm, don't get swept up, be courageous, be strong. To be part of the community of the king is not always comfortable. It requires, uh, as some of the things we'll see here, you know, being devoted to things, going after things, not just looking at how something can be comfortable for us. You know, he says this, do everything in love. To do everything in love is never comfortable. Love is all about not just, hey, feel good while you do this. Love is about putting someone else's interest above your own and living that out in a real way and saying, I have my comfort zone and my what will make me comfortable, but I'm going to choose to look around me and say, how can I act in ways that are for you and your good rather than my own comfort? That's love. It's not just hey, I feel really good and warm and fuzzy, is how do I put someone else's interests above my own? Do everything in love. Won't always be comfortable, but that's what the community of the king is meant to look like. You know, he gives us some pictures of what this looks like in practice. He says, I love the names of the people we get to see here because these are people who, they were clearly, they weren't fans, they definitely weren't critics. These are people who, you know what, they were in it, they were amongst it, and their names get written down, uh, you know, in history. And he says, hey, uh, you know Stephanus, his household, they were some of the first converts, these guys, they, it says, devoted themselves 
to the service of the Lord's people. And Paul's trying to say, look at these guys. Look what they did. This is what I want you to emulate. They devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. Do you want to be part of the community of the king? Here's what it looks like. It's like, it's like Stephanus and his household. You've got to devote yourself to the service of God's people. Now, why is that such a big deal? Because the community of the king is supposed to be the place people can go, hey, uh, if Jesus was in charge of the world, what do you think it would look like? No, like, I mean, if like everything, he just kind of, whatever he said, he was king, his, his word was like law, what would the world look like? And the church is supposed to be the place where somebody go, oh, you know what? You should check out a church. Because as I understand, they're like the community of the king. Now, we won't be perfect. And the Bible's clear on how we have to forgive and love one another. But do you understand that the church is meant to be that place where we actually are so devoted to one another and so loving one another, so prioritizing to be devoted to the service of one another that people can go, there's a glimpse of it. That's what it must look like. And some of us who think, you know what, I'd love to help somebody come to Christ and uh, I'd love to see people who get to know Jesus. And sometimes you might feel like, geez, but how do I ever say the right thing or do the right thing or convince? Do you know what? The whole idea, the, the church is meant to be the visible witness. People are supposed to see how we love one another. And Jesus said they'll know us by the way we love one another. Do everything in love. See, as a church, we are supposed to be the people where we're devoted to one another. We care for one another. Do you want to know what I think is... Uh, a challenge for us is to realize this. We have to find ways to be devoted to one another and reframe so that we don't think about church the way we do everything else in the world we live in. Now, I have a hot uh, kind of tip for some people here today. This is just a gift from me to you. If you have a child who is uh, somewhere between two and five, I've got the perfect place for you to go on a date with your partner. Now, when Levi, our son, was about two to five, we discovered this. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a great, it's, a, it's, it's not exactly a food service per se. It's not maybe their core business, but they have delicious food. And it's this place called Ikea. Now, when Levi was kind of two to five, they, you know what I'm saying, right? Like you want to... You're talking about trying to find a nice bite. Now, when he was kind of in this age, uh, and my, my wife Lisa and I, we would think, you know, hey, we need to go on a date. You know what? Here's what you got to understand about Ikea. You got a kid who's like two to five. You go in that place, and they've got this thing called small land. I'm sure it's said different in Swedish. It's got dots and stuff. But <laughs> you go to small land, and you just walk up to the counter, like kind of hand them your kid. They give you a ticket, but whatever. You're gone. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Hey, whatever. I trust you, Ikea. We're good here. You know, like, we'll be good. We got, what, two hours? Okay, all right. And then what, you put our name on the loudspeaker? Okay, fine. We'll be back in 159. You know, you drive your kid and then there you go. And you are off. You can have a great dinner. If you want what I would call modern casual Australian fare, you go downstairs and you can get a hot dog for a dollar. You could get a drink. We would usually share it. A drink is $1.50, but it's got free refills, so you could split it. All right? So if you want to just kind of, all right, we're in for, you know, a hot dog. Two, three fifty. you got hot dogs and a drink, and you could fill it up upstairs as well. I don't know if you know that. I think they frown on it. But anyway, like, 
You could get fancy if you want to get fancy. Go upstairs and you could get meatballs, you know? Like, I don't know if you've been up there. But yeah, you could get fancy. This place. And then, you know, you're like, hey, what do you reckon? Dinner and a movie? You pick whatever living room you want. There's movies on repeat. <laughs> Find a couch you like. Find something that's showing you like. It's probably a cartoon, but whatever, you know? Dinner and a movie, babe. Have a good night, you know? I'm just saying, this is the way to do it. So if you, especially if you don't have family around a babysitter, you just sort it for like five bucks, dinner and a movie babysitting. It's awesome. They never lost him either. So, you know, it's just a good spot. Now, here's the, the, the quick little challenge of, I want to just leave you with one little picture on what it looks like to be devoted to God's people. Here's what I think is one of the greatest challenges for the church in the West in the 21st century. We are so used to living in a world that is consumer and transaction-based that we unknowingly import that thinking to the church. We don't mean to, but this is why Paul would say, be on your guard, stand firm. Wouldn't the worst thing that could happen be, let's just take an example. If we sort of saw True North kids, it's like, I'm so glad I can get like a date with God <laughs> a minute. I got my two, three-year-old. I drop them off. Who's at the door? I don't care. I am out of here, and I'm going to get an hour and a half of peace and quiet. Wouldn't the sad thing be, do you know when all those times I was Ikea, you know what I never did? I never went, hey, can I just, I see some the people back. Can I talk to some of the staff? I'd just like to tell them, thank you for investing in my son, you know, <laughs> Thank you for looking. You know why? Because that's not what they're doing. <laughs> they're just back there looking after him so that I'll hopefully spend, you know, money. But they didn't know. I was going to split a $1.50 drink. You know, <laughs> they didn't know. <laughs> here's, here's what I just say. You know, as a church, here's the danger. We end up thinking like, oh, it's so good. We got a kids program. I drop my kids. Somebody looks after them. It's great. I get to go to church. I get to sing. I have a good time. I go back. Who have my kids? I don't care. I just grab them. Let's go. We are meant to be a community of people devoted to one another. So here's what, this is why I use this example. Here's the difference, what it looks like to be devoted to one another. That actually when someone is serving me, I look for how I can serve them. That in something like maybe you drop your kids at a youth ministry on a teenager's on a Friday night. You're not thinking, I'm so glad, finally date night's on a Friday night. Now we can go to Ikea and not even use small, <laughs> hopefully... Hopefully you don't do that, but the temptation is just to feel like, well, it's great. I'm glad there's some people doing that. Instead of going, hey, we're a community. You know, if you've got kids over in True North Kids, that you're going up and going, hey, I want to make sure I get to know who the, the small group leader is for my child. Why? So that I can encourage them, so that I can refresh their spirit, like what I saw here. So that I can go, hey, I'm so grateful that I'm not dropping my kid off for child mining, that you are a part of the village that is helping to raise my child. How can I love and serve you? Now that's just one example, but apply this to everywhere in the church. We should, we run into this challenge in the 21st century West of thinking the church is one more organization. One more place where we get only it's good stuff. I'm getting my, my religious goods and services. It's not flat packed. It doesn't make me as angry most of the time. But we can get real tempted to see the church as one more place I go get something. Instead of it's a community where I'm devoted to the service of God's people. And 
Paul is going to continue to kind of help us see this in action. Because he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work of the Lord and labors at it. He's like, here's what it should look like in the community. You know, submit to one another. Uh, you know, be kind to one No, to submit to one another is to kind of like not just make life difficult for one another and argue with one another, but just to, to work to live at peace with one another. Wouldn't it be great if the church was known in this world for that place where that's how we treated one another. And he says... The three amigos came, Stephanus, Fortunatus, Achaicus, and he says they came, and you know what he says they did? They supplied what was lacking. I had a need, and they looked after me, and he says they refreshed my spirit. You see, we don't just serve one another. There's a way that we are called to serve one another, and it's to serve one another in such a way that it's like we refresh one another's spirits. You ever been around people who once you're done chatting to them, you had a coffee with them, you had a meal with them, you split a hot dog with them, <laughs> dollar was too much, you know, but you ever been around people, once you're done with that coffee, that meal, that they were in your home, you were in their home, you were, you're like, ah, oh, I just feel refreshed. It's just being with them just refreshes you, you know, you just, there's that sense. Do you know that in the community of the king, that's what we're called to do for one another. To serve one another in such a way. Do you know every person has, do you know you ever been out on a boat and you look behind you, maybe you're down on the Swan River and you're on a boat and you look behind it and what's always there? It's the wake, right? That boat, if it's a big, if it's got a big engine on it, there's a big wake. If it's, you know, maybe you're in a kayak, there's just a small wake. There will always be a ripple effect that's left behind in the wake. You know, a great question to ask yourself is what's the wake I leave? What's the, set, what's the emotional wake I leave? When I'm with people, once I walk away, what is left behind? So for the three amigos, Paul's like, man, they refresh my spirit. I bet the three amigos were people all of us would have loved to sit and hang out with. You know, they were probably kind and warm. In fact, that's the, the last thing I want you to kind of see about this is, do you know what the way that we should be devoted to one another, the way we should speak with one another, the way we should uh, be around one another, the wake we should leave should be this sense of refreshment and warmth. Look at what Paul says. He's like, notice how he fits it. He's like, he's like Aquila and Priscilla, they greet you warmly. Let me hear you say warmly. Warmly. Yeah, they, they, you know, Priscilla and Aquila, they didn't just say what's up, they greeted him warmly. What's up can be warm, I'm not saying it's not, but I want you to think about this word warmly for a moment. Warmly, you hear it and you're like, when you're around people that are warm, there's something just nice about it. Very different than what do we say, what's the opposite of when someone's warm, they're like kind of cold towards you, you know? We all know what it's like when somebody's a little bit like not, with it. well that was a little frigid, you know, like that was kind of, you know? I don't think there's meant to be a place for frigid in the community of the king. Not from what I see in the scriptures. Um, he says they greet you warmly. And then look at all the work Paul goes to. I all send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Come on. Like how great's that? You know, the whole, it was their culture. It was their time. Uh, you know, we all, you know, lots of cultures kind of kiss on the cheek. But the whole point of that is, you know what? That idea, you get this picture of like, 
That's warm. You can have a, a holy kiss or you can have a cold shoulder. You know, we, we know the differences between those. And we're not going to institute a holy kiss. Some of you watching at home are like, I'm never coming back to church, you know. But <laughs> it's not the point. In our culture, what does it look like to be warm, to greet people well? You know, I love, and Paul, even at the end of those ways, he says, I write this with my own hand. He just wants to know, like, I took the time to write it. I could have emailed it, but I wrote it with my own hand. It's warm. Now, we're not going to greet each other with holy, holy kiss, but can I just, I, I want to just land this. What does it look like to be warm? What's it look like in all culture, our, our, our culture? What's our, our kind of context? You know, I, I think I'll, I'll start by saying this. You know it when you feel it, right? You know it when someone is sincere in their greeting. You know it when somebody does, doesn't feel like they're saying hi because they have to. You know, I love to, we look often at, um, there's a guy, some of you, if you serve on one of our welcome teams, you may have seen some of his stuff before. But there's this guy, Horst Schultz. He was the CEO of Ritz-Carlton for a long time, built it up. Uh, and he has this passion. He's actually a follower of Christ himself. He has this passion for service, customer service. Now, he's speaking often in this business world of customer service customer service, but what he's really always getting at is this whole idea of how do we serve one another. And he trains everybody in, in their organization when he was at Ritz-Carlton, now the stuff he does now. And he always talks about how there's three ways you serve people. And the first, he always says, it starts with a, a greeting. Whenever you see someone, you need to greet them. And so it doesn't matter what position someone in the hotel might be in. When a person gets within 10 feet of you, you need to give them a warm greeting. And so it doesn't matter if you're the cleaner, whether you're the person at the desk, that's right. you need to greet them and say, good morning, good, good afternoon, with sincerity and with warmth. Um, and then he talks about how then the, the second interaction should always be, how can I serve you? How can I help you? And then after you have done what you can to serve that person, he says you should always have a nice, warm farewell. We see this with Paul. He's like, he's opened it up, telling them how great he thinks they are. He's talked to them about the things that God's laid on his heart. He finishes with, and I, I, we all greet you warmly. I write it with my own hand. Here's, here's what I just would love for you to think about if you're part of the community of the king here at True North. The thing that always drives me crazy whenever I, I read his stuff, I love this guy's writings and speaking Horst Schultz, but what always drives me crazy is that sometimes I feel like he's painting, the Ritz-Carlton seems to be having a better picture at times uh, of what serving one another looks like than we get in the church sometimes. And that breaks my heart. Because everybody, I talk to people all the time who go to the Ritz-Carlton, you know, there's one in, in Perth now, and, you know, if you want to refresh my spirit, I'm fine for a free night there. Anyway, just kidding, um, just kidding, that's terrible. And literally, if you now give that to me, I'll give it to someone else, I promise. I'm just, I'm not. But the, the, I, every time I talk to somebody, goes like, man, it was amazing. They love it. This is probably lots of people you know, like, oh, I'd love to go stay there. Now, it, it, and, and the thing they built it on was not, it's not just, it's the whole experience. Wouldn't it be great if people were more like, man, you just got to go to a church because the way people treat you and treat one another. There's a warmth there that you just can't get anywhere else. That's how I think, Paul, I think that's what the community of kings meant to look like. You know, and... And maybe we don't say it all exactly that way, but imagine every time you got within 10 feet of people, you stopped and took note of them. Said, hi, how are you? I'm not saying you got to get their entire life story, but if they want to give it to you, you create that space. You know, Schultz's 
uh, model for this, and, I, and this is, I think, a little key to it, and then I want to wrap up with something real practical for you. But Schultz talks about how Benedict, who was a, uh, ran a monastery in the Middle Ages around the year 500, they had this, he had written these uh, instructions for how to take care of travelers who might be passing through. And the core of it was this. He said, every guest, everyone who comes through the monastery should be greeted as if they were Christ himself. Do you know how you start to be warmer to people? You begin to look at people not just thinking, here's what I like or don't like about you. Here's what I see Christ in you. Every human being you see is made, the Bible tells us, in the image of God. No matter how much they get on your nerves. Our job is not to judge. It's to look for Christ in them. Because God made them. And, and, and when you start to see people that way, you can offer warmth and sincerity. And know that, yes, you are a person. And, and wouldn't it be great if that's we, just the way we rolled, you know, whenever people were within 10, we were able to look and see, like, you know, whatever you know, kind of stage of life they are, et cetera, whether they're our age or younger or older, but like, ah, good morning, good afternoon. And that's just how we were. And we had the mindset, maybe we don't always say, how can I help you today? Because maybe it doesn't feel right. But actually, we approach our relationships not with a what do I get from you, but from what can I give to you. If we actually thought, hey, how could I help this person? You don't have to say it out loud, but I wonder what they need. I wonder how I could refresh their spirit. I wonder how I could encourage them. I wonder if I could pray for them. I wonder if I could, what could I do to, to serve this person? That's what transforms the way we relate to one another. That's what allows us to be people who are devoted to the service of God's people. And when a whole community of the king begins to live like that and treat one another like that, the world can have a taste of what life is meant to be like when Jesus is king. You know, one little helpful thing about this as well is to realize this. I'm not pretending and none of us should think we're going to get this perfectly or start to believe that, uh, that, that church could be, the community of the king will be the one perfect place in our whole life. We will get it wrong. We will uh, accidentally be frigid to someone. We will step on one another's feet. We will bump our shopping trolleys into one another. But we can always ask for and offer forgiveness. And the faster we become at asking for and offering forgiveness, the more the warmth extends. Because it's not when a place is perfect that it's like, oh, that's when it all works. It's when a place you know when things go wrong, uh, people will make it right. That's how families, that's how we want our families to work. None of us get it all right, but we ask for forgiveness when we need to. It's how we want our relationships to work. It's how God's church, the community of kings, is meant to work. We won't always get it right. But we ask for forgiveness as soon as we realize what we've done. And we offer forgiveness when we need to offer that. And that's what creates this community of the king where we refresh one another's spirits. Where we go from being, where none of us get to live as a fan. Where we're not called to be a critic. But we're all engaged in being devoted to one another, serving one another, living out what it means to be the community of the king. You know, the team's going to come out and we're going to 
sing together one more time. I love that song, Break Every Chain. There's this army uh, that God is building. And we often talk here at True North about how God calls us to be an army of love in this world. We're just, that's what we're meant to do. Love one another, serve one another, be devoted to one another. You know, one of the, if you're like, hey, what's one way I can really grab hold of this, take it and put it into practice? You know, one of the things you can do if you've never done it before, uh, I encourage you to join a team at True North, to serve somewhere. I love how it talks about in there, he says, you know, all those who have joined in the work and labor at it. You know, one of the guys I, I like to quote often, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we talked a little bit about his book, Life Together, a couple of weeks ago. But he has this picture, he says that the strength of a local church depends on how, it's like, he describes it like a, a chain and interlocking, and there's all these interlocking links. And he says the strength is how tightly each chain link is locked to one another. And he says so, and he's writing this like the 1930s, but he talks about this, he says, so everyone, Benedict actually in the 500s talked about the exact same thing as well. He says, everyone should have some kind of job, no matter how small, so that you're locked into the chain. And he says, if you've got people who are not locked into that chain, that, that is what weakens the community of the king. And he says, it doesn't even matter how small that job is. And Bonhoeffer says, it will help that brother or sister to know someday when they wonder, do I even matter here? That yes, I too am a part of this. And I've joined in the work. And I'm not just a fan and I'm not just on the outside, but I am a part of the community of the King. I just wanna encourage you, it's an invitation. And it is not a, hey, you better this, but it is just to tell you one of the greatest things you can do is to find somewhere to devote yourself to the service of God's people. And to do it with warmth and love, joy in your heart. And together, that's what the community of the King looks like. I'm gonna invite you to stand. And I just wanna say, uh, one of the beautiful things, if you're new around here, our church as well, and I would not be able to finish this message without saying it, that I am so grateful. Just like Paul talks about the three amigos there. Stephanus and Fortunatus and the other guy, Achaica, something like that. I, the beautiful thing to me about True North is all the faces and names that I look out every week and think of how we are bonded together in Christ, serving Him. There are people here who love and serve in ways that are just extraordinary. And so when I say I invite you to serve, I tell you, it is, the, it is one of the greatest things to be linked up with the community of the King here at True North.